Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly, here to tell you that we have a brand new podcast called Halloween Unmasked, premiering Monday, October 1st. Here's a sneak peek. There's trouble in the suburbs. A teenage girl named Lori Strode crosses a quiet street toward an ordinary house to find her friends. But Lori doesn't know that her friends are dead, and she doesn't know that she's walking right toward the masked killer, Michael Myers. The movie is Halloween. And Halloween just, it was like a, it was a breath of fresh, putrid air. He's a pure, unknowable evil. I'm film critic Amy Nicholson, and this is Halloween Unmasked, a podcast series from The Ringer celebrating the remarkable and terrifying rise of America's most revolutionary horror film. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to Halloween Unmasked and watch your back. I, I think the scariest part was that he doesn't die at the end. So when you're 10, it's like, that guy's still out there. <laughs> we, we gotta get him. Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. By showing you top-rated hotels with unsold rooms, Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book your stay at an amazing rate. And even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can book in advance. It's perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, booking a place with a pool, and more. So to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. I only came here to do two things, kick some ass, drink some beer. Looks like we're almost all out of beer. Not out of podcasting, though. Days to Confuse, coming up. And he was in a cult, and the cult was in the aliens, man. You didn't know that? Uh, Somewhere between free love and safe sex. Funny. Tie-dye and button fly. We should be up for anything. Ed Sullivan and MTV. So stupid, doesn't it? There was a generation. The 60s rocked. The 70s, they obviously sucked. That was dazed and confused. Maybe the 80s will be radical. Rated R. Now playing at select theaters. All right, Sean Fantasy is here. Chris Ryan is here. It's the 25th anniversary this month-ish of Dazed and Confused. There are some anniversary pieces about it. I rewatched it last night. A staggering amount of young Hollywood talent. It's a movie that, if it was released now, would have Matthew McConaughey and Ben Affleck on the poster, along with who else? How would they do the poster? Be those two? Zellweger? <laughs> yeah, Zellweger. Yeah, in a flash. Would yeah. sneak in? yeah. Mm, who comes right after that? I don't, is Parker Posey the most famous person after that? She yeah, might Parker be. Parker Posey. Yeah. I guess it would be McConaughey, Affleck, and then just oh, a yeah. whole bunch of other people. Yeah. But this was a cool era. You had school ties. What year school ties? Like 91, 92. Uh-huh. Then you had, what was the other one that was like the big, the big group? Movie. I mean, you know, movies that we're drawing from this oh, generation. Dead yeah, Dead Poets. So it was like Dead Poets, School Ties, and then this movie were like the three movies that found basically... 15 actors that yeah. we would spend the next 25 years. Um, did When did you first see this movie? I don't think I saw it in the theaters. I think this, this is just a movie that was on through through college. So it was a great VHS. A couple years later. Yeah, a couple years later. How about you, Fantasy? I didn't see it in theaters. I was probably too young to see it in theaters, but I, whenever I saw it, it was the first time seeing it after like a hundred more times were coming in a hundred consecutive days. Like it was one of those movies that it was like, this is a part of me now. I will watch this all the time. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it was on TV or on VHS or what it was, but it just, it like instantaneously went into the movie lexicon. 
Um, and I don't even really know why. Like, I guess we'll talk about that. Yeah, it was I another mean, think, slow burn movie. It, it was what? It was another slow burn movie. I didn't a, see it for five years. Really? I didn't see it until 1998. And it wasn't anything personal against it. Then that there was like about two years there where, especially because in my pot smoking circles in Massachusetts, you got to watch this movie, man. It's great. I'm like, all right, whatever. And then it was just on cable one night. And I think it was after Goodwill Hunting came out when I saw it. I was like, is that Affleck? I just kind of started yeah. watching it. And then I was like, wow, all right, I'm going to watch this all the time. I saw this at a crucial time where I could still remember high school, but I had just enough perspective to like laugh about it and think yeah. about it in a different way, which is, I think a lot, it resonates for a lot of people around my age because it lionizes a kind of time in your life that you will look back on as this crucial, important time, but you have just enough distance from it to be like, that was stupid. This guy was probably a jerk. These rituals were probably ridiculous, but yeah. I still remember these things like crystal clear. 76, 77, 78 are great Hollywood years for just like high school movies. High school is very distinct. There's not any, there's not even cable TV yet. It's just everything centers around um, kids trying to figure out somewhere to go. And it was usually just them driving. And sometimes they would end up like in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Linklater over said and over and again, he was trying to make American graffiti for. The set for kids who grew up in the 70s. And obviously that's what Lucas was trying to do in 76 or 73, whenever American Graffiti came out for kids who were born in the 50s. So it's yeah. this timeless thing that keeps getting rebuilt and rebuilt. Do we have, do we have a, ver I guess mid nineties is coming out soon, which is Jonah Hill's movie that is kind of like in some ways going to be his version of 20 years ago when I was in high school, here's what my life was like. And it's something that kind of happens with every generation. Yeah, I think that when people tend to make movies about this generation now, they tend to be closer to be something like Spring Breakers or mm. even even the, the sort of more like genre fair, like 13 Reasons Why, where it's like how social media is destroying our brains and yeah, that kind of Yeah, this movie thing. Assassination Nation just came out last week and that's kind of what that is. Yeah. It's like social media in high school is destroying So would like Superbad be the last movie like this where it was just like, let's just all go hang out? Yeah, I mean, we had smaller, more personal versions of it. I think both 8th grade and Lady Bird kind of do this. Mm -hmm. You know, they kind of try to put that stuff on screen, but they're so focused on one character. This movie in particular really bounces around. There's like 18 characters that you have to follow, which is really, really yeah, they rare. They keep introducing them, too. I remember when I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, I had this babysitter named Teddy who was in high school because, my, you know, my mom was working at night. I think my parents had just gotten divorced, and— Teddy was, and we got along really well. And one night he's like, I'm going to take you out with us. And I'm like, awesome. I was like nine. So this is, you know, 1978 range. So we went out and we got in his car and it was like, he picked up two of his friends and they just kind of drove around for a couple of hours. And we ended up parked somewhere and they were like drinking. And, um, and then that was the whole night. And then he kind of came back, <laughs> dropped me off. And that was what framed my entire uh, thought process of what happened when kids came out until I was like 16. It's like, so that's what, so when you go out, you get in a car and you drive around, but that's really what the seventies were like. They didn't have anything to do. Uh, it's also what the nineties were like. Yeah. I can tell you for sure that I would drive around in cars, park in places, go to a park called Memorial all the time. You'd go and you'd just stand in the parking lot and you'd drink. But you could at least rent a movie back then and do stuff like that. You could at least we weren't doing that hang out in, no. in a basement. Yeah, that's true. We did do that. We did do that. But I mean, it 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 does feel like it's still kind of timeless. Like this is how teenagers while away the hours, you know? Yeah. I also thought that this movie captured a kind of fluid, a social fluidity that is actually, in my experience, truer to life than a lot of Hollywood uh, renderings of teenage life where it's like very, very, very 
like the battle lines are drawn. The jocks are over here. The nerds are over here. And this movie, it's like, you just wind up in the backseat of a car with a bunch of people and you're like, oh, hey man, like what's up? And it's not as like, you have to show some sort of like pass to get into a guy's car to talk to somebody. It's just a lot more lifelike. That's what this movie has, is it has that feeling of, it's organic. You just, you know, you might just be standing next to a soda fountain or a pool table or getting a beer or talking about basketball and you have no idea who you are. And it's like, oh yeah, this guy, I know him kind of, but sure, I'll go out and like go on a beer run with you. Whatever, man, let's do it. Yeah. Do you have beer? Do you have pot? They also do Do you this, have a fake ID? Yeah. Those are like really the three crucial questions. They do something really, really smart. Linklater, who I think is loosely basing this on himself, makes Randall Pink Floyd the center of the movie and Floyd is friends with the jocks, because he's the quarterback. He's friends with the nerds, which we just kind of accept at the beginning of the movie when he's I hanging out with like Adam Goldberg. I think it's because he's smart. He's, maybe because he's smart. Yeah. And he's also friends with stoners, who are neither jocks nor nerds. And he ha- he's this kind of like fulcrum of the movie, you know? And even though the movie doesn't really have a main character per se, he really brings all of those parties together. It's just a really smart way to get all the groups going and make it. And it also, I think you're right, Chris, like for high school, for me, there were definitely like popular crowds and not popular crowds, but everybody knew everyone and everybody was interacting. It was, it was more sociable than you'd make it seem if you were like watching the breakfast club and it felt like these, this tribal warfare. It wasn't really like that. It was like sometimes a jock would beat up a nerd, but a lot of people were friends. I think it was a really fun time to be in high school, which is one of the reasons I love this movie. There was like a specific music scene happening where, and that, that's like the star of this movie is the soundtrack. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's just a murderer's row of great songs that specifically belong to 1976 range. And I, not to step on some of the stuff later, but they spent like one sixth of the budget just on the music. It shows. I think they spent 200 grand on the Aerosmith song that starts it. And it's like, sweet emotion is crucial to start this movie. Free ride's crucial to end the movie, but that's. It was this music renaissance from like 72 to 77 and even like Kiss and Frampton. and I, 76 was one of the best music years ever. So to put the, this movie in that year, I thought was, was smart. Yeah. And, the, by, and by design. Most of my high school class was pretty into rap by the time this movie came out. And certainly from 93 to 95 when I graduated, it was mostly like rap was the dominant cultural expression of my high school. Yeah. But- we recognized, I think, or I certainly recognized once I saw this movie and, and and since then, it's not necessarily even the music as much as the importance music plays in people's lives. Yeah. You know, and especially at that age, as you're starting to identify yourself through music, you start to just basically prioritize that to the point where Aerosmith tickets would be the most important thing, just the same way maybe going to see Wu-Tang Clan would have been the most important thing, or going to see the Beastie Boys, or going to see Tribe Called Quest, or going to see Def Leppard, or going to see Green Day. It doesn't matter. It was like- Or dressing someone up like a member of Kiss. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, it's just a great time. You know, if they do it a year later, all of a sudden now disco is a little bit in it, and- just feel this feels like the last pure. All I care about is rock and roll and getting stoned and going into the woods and trying to get laid and drink a beer and that's that's high school. Yeah, and Linklater was so rigorous about the songs that he picked. If a song came out three months after the setting of the movie, they wouldn't put it in. Even if he really wanted to put a Deep Purple song in that he that he you know he was listening to kind of at the time. If it wasn't specific to, I guess it's is it May seventy six or June seventy six? Yeah, then it wasn't going to be in the movie. Yeah. And that's how I am with my Spotify playlist. When I try <laughs> to find it. 
the miracle of this movie is its mundanity. You know, like when you are growing up and you're in high school, the things that blow your mind are going to play mini golf with your friends or the first time you have malt liquor or the first time you hear a single or a CD single of something. It's not those major, like I fell in love that night moment. It's not, that's the night I threw the winning touchdown pass. It's these weird little like micro moments. And it's because your life hasn't become regimented yet. Every single night in high school has like this possibility that when you're in your middle age and you're like, yeah, you know, every day I go to work and I have a family and I see the same people and we do the same things. And there's a degree of responsibility and professionalism and decorum in my life. Like this is that time in your life where everything is basically improv every day. And you're also learning how to express yourself and how to feel about things. And I think he captures that. It's so true to life and and still, still, is a great movie. He does a great job of not making it like Slacker, of making it this kind of diner, you know, has a little bit of Hughes movie, Hughes, John Hughes quality to it that you're just like, man, I would just watch this over and over again. I think John Hughes was, he said he wanted to make a John Hughes movie, mm-hmm. but for set in 1976. Yeah. I think that was- I think it was almost like an anti, like a Hughes movie. Or an anti-John Hughes movie. It was like a what was conscious, contra- like it was like, I'm conscious that I'm making something contrary to that. You know what I mean? Like that has like a certain idea about the eighties. I'm going to make a movie about high school that has like different ideas. Right. The thing about Linklater is he's always trying to make something that feels real, even if it's animated or done in different time. Like if you look at what he did with boyhood, he's trying to capture something accurate to people's lives over a long period of time. If you look at slacker, it feels like quasi documentary. You know, it's not as scripted as most movies are. If you look at this movie, he's trying to make a movie that looks, sounds, acts, and feels like what high school was for him in Texas in the 70s. There's something kind of admirable about that. And it's, but it doesn't mean it's less entertaining. You know, this isn't like a Ken Loach movie or some yeah. like it's not like a seven up documentary. It's 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 a fun movie. Yeah, he said at an event for a reunion for the cast and the crew and everything, he said the drama is so low-key and dazed and confused. I don't remember teenage years being that dramatic. I remember just trying to go with the flow, socialize, fit in, and be cool. The stakes were really low. To get Aerosmith tickets or not, that was the big thing. By 2001 or two, I love this movie so much, I used it for the movie quotes gimmick. Yes. For NFL. That's a so special from, award. Really is. And um, that also, those four years also was probably the most pot I ever, that, that was my biggest pot per week's uh whatever my status for that. That's, your poundage was high. Yeah. The, yeah. And this is a movie specifically designed for that. Klosterman wrote about it and he said he'd, he wrote about it for the Criterion thing and said he had seen it like 65 times and 64 he was stoned. It's funny if you're not stoned, but it's also, there's a few movies like this. Like I think Outside Providence is like this too. There's a select small group of movies that if you're stoned, just become way funnier. It's almost like there's these little Easter eggs that you, you're you putting on these stone goggles and you can see all these things you didn't see. This is the champion of that. You guys probably saw it in high school. I saw a little bit after, but yeah. Like a little bit right after. I, it, it was yeah. before high school for me. So it's kind of like set the template yeah. after college. for how you're, how you're supposed to engage with high school. So mm. it was sort of like Slater is not only what I thought a stoner was like, but what all the people who became stoners in my high school acted like. Yeah. You know, like they were modeling themselves after these archetypes that he created. And even though Linklater's trying to do something that's true to his life, 
Like he's oddly invented this whole vision of like what a person is. Like this is what a young woman acts like if she's like Parker Posey's character. This is what a young woman yeah. acts like if she's like, you know, uh, Joey Lauren Adams's character. This is what this is the Slater. This is the Sasha Jensen Don character. Like weirdly, it's just a life imitates art thing. I don't want to get off on, a, on too far of a tangent here too, but at this point in the mid 90s, like classic rock still held a pretty big piece of the popular culture pie. That was still something that it was pretty normal for teenagers to become like big Pink Floyd yeah. and Hendrix fans. And Even Zep. though grunge was happening and rap was happening and everything else that was going on was happening. Like WMMR, the radio station in Philly would play dead, sh- like full dead concerts. And like guys I knew would like be like, are you listening to the, the dead show tonight? You know, it was, and it was getting, it was still like a really huge influence at that time. So that was crucial to, I think, people getting into this movie. It was that it was like almost this uh, Disney animatronic world to live in if you liked that, if you liked classic rock and liked that culture. It did something interesting though, because like classic rock before I saw this movie in my head was Beatles, Stones, yeah. you know, Led Zeppelin, Bob Marley to some extent, weirdly, like Cream, 60s bands, early 70s bands. This movie is full of like pop metal yeah. and, and pop hard rock, like ZZ Top, Black Sabbath, Deep Kiss, Purple, Deep yeah. Purple, like all these bands that I actually just didn't, I'm, I'm from New York, like that that stuff was not big. You could see it being really big in the South, but it didn't have a lot of legacy. So it kind of turned me on to a ton of records that I probably wouldn't have listened to otherwise. That's that's cool. We listened to a lot of that in the mid 80s, but we also, like when I was in high school in the mid 80s, we really only had about 15 to 17 years of decent music to choose from <laughs> and not a lot of CDs and things like that. So all these songs, like the Frampton Comes Alive concert album, that was like a go-to CD. And Steve, weirdly, Steve Miller wasn't in this. I don't know if you missed the- Yeah, he might have been cup, a little but, earlier. Yeah. But Steve Miller, um, a lot of the stuff that was in there, some of those early Aerosmith albums. No, Living in the USA is in this. Steve oh, yeah, Miller, right. yeah, yeah. I wrote in 2000, I guess two, no movie captures the mid-70s better than dazed, that surreal goofy time between the Vietnam War and the MTV era when people did drugs with no repercussions, unprotected sex was accepted and encouraged. You could haze and humiliate people without the threat of a lawsuit. People spent their nights driving around aimlessly, getting high, tossing down brews, knocking over mailboxes, and hanging out in abandoned fields. That now, now we're 40 plus years away from that. Like, I wonder... My daughter was watching like 20 minutes of this with us yesterday, me and my wife. And her big note was like, why are they being so mean? Really? It was Parker Posers, Posey screaming at the kids near the beginning. All right, you little freshman bitches. And then the, we're going to get you with the paddles. And she's like, what is this? Why are all the kids so mean? And she just like couldn't process it. My high school experience was kind of like this. Uh, we didn't do yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we didn't have like quite so rigorous a initiation routines, but there was definitely initiation stuff. There was definitely, we, they didn't use paddles, but there was, I, I, they, high schoolers definitely drove to the parking lot of my middle school and taunted us and waited for us to come out of school before we were going to ninth grade. Like that literally happened in my school. Yeah, it's also is really common for uh, conversations to turn on a dime to becoming roastings. Like when Slater's like, check you later. Yeah. And then yeah. Todd's like, God, Damn it, man! Why do you keep saying corny shit like that? Yeah. Like that was pretty much. Girls don't want to hear that shit. Yeah, and that was like eighty-eight percent of my interactions in high school was like, "This is pretty cool." It's like, "Is it cool? <laughs> Shut the fuck up!" Like, yeah, like, it would just blow up in your Very face. Very aggressive. I was like, "Oh, I should open my mouth." I definitely <laughs> went to school with some Parker Posey's too. Darla, you know that was that was a, that's a type. That's a type. Darla of person. existed. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I really like about this movie, and I've never seen totally 
captured in another movie is the whole phenomenon of the juniors becoming seniors. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And yeah. their chest just puffing out. And it's like, this is the year we own the school and we're going to go undefeated, man. And I mean, that's a real thing. Totally. I can't think of other movies that really nailed that. It's like you you basically buy an ego from the store and yeah. you get this giant ego. It's in Friday Night Lights a little bit. A little yeah, bit. In the TV fair. show, because you know they start, I think they're sophomores. Did when you they guys start. have a, did you have a lot of interaction as a junior with the senior class? Was there a, like we're gonna t- hand over traditions to you and this is how you're supposed to be? I mean, I went to a small prep school, so we we were on teams with all the older kids. Okay. I, I don't know what it's like at a bigger high school. I went to a big public high school. Um I had the thing you were describing earlier, which is that I was lucky to kind of fall in with a couple of older kids when I was making the transition from eighth to ninth grade. And so I got to go out with them a couple of times and that was very instructive. And that kind of like teaches you how to be in the world a little bit because you say one stupid thing and they're like, don't be stupid. And then so you don't ever say anything like that ever again. There was no like baton passing from junior to senior. I don't think it was more like talking to much younger kids about the way to be. It also tapped into the whole the seniors going after the ninth grade girls. Cause that's yes, a thing definitely all the time. And it was always kind of, there was always a certain type of guy that did it. Yes. It was just kind of there. And I'm sure it's still there. Like I, I think about it with my daughters going to the ninth grade next year. And it's like, you're not dating anyone who's more than a year older than you. I'm just you're breaking it to you now. I will <laughs> say I never you. came across a Wooderson in my real life. Like I, no. I, I never met a guy well, who he's was a like unicorn. 21 and trying to date 14 year olds. No, I met Wooderson's popped up more when I was, in like late teens, early twenties, and there would be a yeah. guy, and they'd be like, "How old's that guy?" He's like, "That guy is thirty-two. Right, like, exactly. Really, and he's still at the bar every night. That's interesting. <laughs> okay. Kicking and screaming has their version of Wooderson as the Eric Stoll's character. Yes, mm-hmm. who's just there for like eight the years town. taking classes and stuff. A lot of the high school hierarchy stuff, I've just never seen done better than this. Let's go through. They spent seven million on it. It made eight million. It's an official flop. Considered a bomb. Yeah, and it's weird because it's a 1993 movie, and I think in 1993 is like singles. And, you know, 1993 is a very distinctive year. I don't feel like Dazed and Confused. It feels like a 96 movie to me. Like it came out like two months before Swingers, but it didn't. It came out in 93, and I don't, I honestly don't even remember it coming out. I'm yeah. sure I read the articles and just were like, oh, whatever. It's a slow burn thing you were doc- talking about. It took a long time for it to get into the consciousness. Yeah. The biggest what if here too is this movie is that Linklater had imagined it as a much more experimental film. Yeah. Like he had imagined doing this movie where they were basically going to do two shots. It was going to be two guys in a car or however many guys in a car listening to all of, I think, Fandango by ZZ Top. Yes. And the movie was going to last as long as the album. And they were just going to talk over the three times. They were going to. They the were record play is three thirty times. minutes. They were going to play it three times. It'd be a ninety-minute movie. Yeah, and so and it was just set in a car. That's and, a bad idea. But that's also like think about how different. Who knows what happens with Affleck if if that happens? I don't even know. But he so Linklater weirdly actually did this a few years later with this movie Tape, which is a very complicated yeah. movie, but it kind of all takes place over like one over one night. Yeah, and you know he's obviously obsessed with like capturing t- real time, you know, what, it, what when things are actually happening. That goes back to the boyhood thing, tape, all the before and after movies are like that too. Um, I'm glad it didn't turn out to be the Fandango movie though. 93 on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics, 78 from everybody. I know you care about that, Sean. I don't. Roger Ebert. Here we go. Three stars. He liked it. Ebert's on a hot streak on the rewatchables. God he's, bless the dead. He's had five good opinions in a row. Congratulations to him. Congratulations to Roger Ebert. Congratulations to Roger. I'm coming around on you. Ben Affleck, Parker Posey. Randall Pink Floyd played by the London who was not on Party of Five, but the other London. Uh-huh. They had a nice little power play. 
of of who was Jason, the not hand. Jeremy. Jason. Jeremy had a lot of problems. He did I have think, a lot of on, problems. Uh, Party of Five. Cole Hauser. It's a good engine. It's a good engine. <laughs> Joey Lauren Adams. Yeah. Who would become famous um, on Chasing Amy a couple years later, Mallrats as well. Adam Goldberg, who played Chandler Bing's roommate in Friends. That's right. Among Saving Private Ryan, many other things. McConaughey was Wooderson. Anthony Rapp. Anthony Rapp, who was in the news recently. He was. Uh, for not great reasons. A well-known stage actor in Tied New York. to the Spacey stuff. Yeah. Uh, Giovanni Ribisi's sister. Marissa. Yes. Yeah. Now known by some people as, as Beck's wife. And a couple people who never made it, including uh, Mitch Kramer, when we get to him. Slater, the long-haired stoner, played by Roy Cochran. Great performance. And last but not least, a borderline comedic genius, uh, Don Dawson. And I don't know what happened. I don't know why Sasha Jensen was one of the biggest stars of our life. I, I agree. This was on my list. I don't understand it. I would love to find out what happened to that dude. I don't know. You didn't mention Michelle Burke, who's also someone I'd like to talk Mitch about. Mitch Kramer's sister? Yeah. Makes a move on Randy Pink Floyd at one point. She does. Very I got, 70s. I got a lot of Michelle Burke thoughts. Should I hold them? Are they negative or positive? They're they're neither negative nor positive. They're just like, why wasn't this person famous? She was in the Coneheads movie and this movie in 1993. And I was like, well, here comes a new huge actress in America. And then she basically like never worked again. Yeah, that's weird. There's a a couple people like that. The good, like Don, I don't, how does Don leave this movie and not become a breakout star? I don't know. Sean Andrews too, Pickford. You don't really, you didn't really see that much of him in the next 10, 20 years. Yeah, that guy seems like he could have been like a serial killer in a movie at least, right? Fell in love with Mila Jovovich on this movie. They got married briefly. Did they? And they got to annulled quickly. And then he didn't really work that much. He was, was 21 and like she this. was like 17. We're going to get to him later. We, uh, coming up, we have the categories and this pod will get a lot more fun. First, let's take a break. Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by DC Universe. Do you like DC? Do you love DC? Are you what some people might call obsessed with DC? Then you need to get DC Universe. It's the only place you can watch the all-new live-action Titans, which premieres this fall. Not to mention Young Justice Outsiders, Doom Patrol, Swamp Thing, Stargirl, and Harley Quinn, which will be coming your way in 2019. New episodes come out every week, which means you'll always have something to look forward to. DC Universe has features that you just have to see for yourself, like a world-class comic reader that even works on your big-screen TV. It also has a thoughtfully curated, regularly fresh library of 2,500 modern and classic titles, a members-only store full of exclusive merchandise and discussion forums filled with fans and talent discussing all things DC. This isn't another streaming service because nobody needs that. This is what you might call the ultimate DC membership, and it works on your favorite iOS and Android devices, as well as Roku, Apple TV, and Google Chromecast. Join for just $7.99 a month, or better yet, grab a $74.99 annual membership and save 20%. Just join today at dcuniverse.com. Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Simple Contact. Simple Contacts lets you conveniently renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your contacts from anywhere in minutes. It's vision care for the 21st century. The Simple Contacts vision test is self-guided and takes less than five minutes. It isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam, but it will save you so much time when you need to renew and reorder. It is designed by ophthalmologists and a licensed doctor reviews every test, so you skip the office visit, but not the case. 
care. Simple Contacts has all the brands and types of lenses you're familiar with, so you never have to shop around to find your lenses at the best price. And best of all, Simple Contacts saves you money. The Vision Test is only $20, and their contact lens prices are unbeatable. And standard shipping is free. Look, I would like to say I'm friends with Bill Simmons. And I can tell you, this is a guy who needs contact lenses. You know, like you may see those beautiful blues and you're like, man, that guy, he probably has vision like a hawk. Not true. Bill Simmons needs contact lenses. And when Bill needs his contacts, he gets them through simple contacts because it's a time saver and it's a money saver. And that's what matters to a guy. Time is money to Bill Simmons. Get $20 off your contacts at simplecontacts.com slash rewatchables, the official contact lens of the Rewatchable podcast. Or enter code rewatchables at checkout. That's simplecontacts.com slash rewatchables. Or enter code rewatchables at checkout to get $20 off your contacts. All right, most rewatchable scene. Normally, this is an easy category to figure out the five or six choices. This whole movie is a rewatchable scene, and Mm -hmm. it's not really... It's even hard to separate it into a cat. All of a sudden it's nighttime and it's like, just, there's no time. I never know what time it is until the very end when all of a sudden daylight, daylight's out. I I came up with these five. If there are any more, tell me. And it's more from like, I could show you a picture from the scene and you could instantly be like, oh, that scene. Mm -hmm. And I know the music's playing and I know exactly what happens. So the first one is Wooderson going to the pool hall in slow motion. And they're playing Hurricane, Bob Dylan. It's just fucking great. It's just a great four minutes. We may may already have our answer. It's a great 70s hang. It's just like the entire movie cracked into one thing. When the guys go breaking the mailboxes, I just always enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Don Dawson in the front seat just laughing his ass off and... People did that in the 70s. We did that in college in the 80s. We For Halloween, we would go to this rich part of Worcester um, and people would have the pumpkins out and we would just go and we'd break the pumpkins and drive around and we thought it was like the funniest thing. Like People are idiotic in the 70s and 80s. I love when the uh, the angry hillbilly pulls a nine millimeter on the Oh, That's yeah. 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 Uh, the paint getting dumped on, on O'Bannon. Nice little sting operation. They get the ninth grade girls involved. They get a little retribution. One of the most committed Affleck performances of all time. He's really fucking pissed. (laughs) Gets in his car. We never see him again. That's right. He's just gone. This this performance and his performance in Mallrats was like, oh, I guess this guy's just going to play a dipshit in in every movie. And then now he's, you know, Batman and he's in Armageddon. Yeah. Adam Goldberg getting his ass kicked. I really enjoy. I don't know why. I like how. It's a very um, realistic fight. It's realistic. Yeah. Like he put some thought into it and outthought himself and the guy just gets him. And there's, they cut to Cole Hauser. Somebody's trying to separate it. He's shoving the people back to kind of let him go. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, uh, Randy Pink comes in and, and with McConaughey and saves it. And finally, the ending is just phenomenal. I actually think it's probably the best two minutes of the movie because you see all the characters in one place. They're just happy. It's four people that- would not have been together eight hours earlier and they just kind of end up in that car together. They're listening to a uh, slow ride and the car's going. And then it just sees the road and it's just the road's going to nowhere. It's going over this imaginary hill and, yeah. and then it ends. It's just really a smart way to end it. 
Yeah, I like all the little stuff that leads up to that, too, with everybody going back to their house. You know, like Wiley Wiggins' character going home and his mom catching him, and Sabrina going home and getting the kiss from Anthony Rapp at the end of the night. Like, all of the kind of we're wrapping this up is yeah, really well handled. Yeah, that's where Pink kind of just admits, like, this football's not for me, man. And Don's like, you think it's going to be a big deal? And he's just like, all right, man, you got to do you or whatever. I, it's got to be the Emporium. It's got to be the entrance to the Emporium. I was asking Sean this yesterday. If you were filmed walking into a, a bar or a party in high school and you had to pick like the quintessential song to soundtrack you doing that in slow-mo. In slow-mo. What do you think you would pick? Probably that song. Hurricane by Bob Dylan? <laughs> no, it's just so good. How can you top it? <laughs> That's like so good. if you were getting thrown out of a, a garbage truck, it would be like the second half of Layla. But like, I guess uh, I, I was going to, I said to Sean, I would oh, say if it's like a different type of. Yeah. It's like if it's your life and if it was like my your life. life in high school, your life in high school, you're That's walking really into a party. That's a really important question. What's the song that's soundtracking your slow-mo walk into a bar or a party? I don't know. Sean, you answer it first. Mm-hmm. Can I live by Black Rob? That's great. I said I said Cash Rolls Everything Around Me by Wu Tang. So you, both of you went with rap songs or yeah. hip hop songs. Yeah, kids in the nineties. I mean, there's there's a million rock songs. There's like Whole Lot of Rosie by ACDC. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, I mean, like that yeah. would be like I, I would I would definitely say like it would be cool to do Houses of the Holy. But yeah. like, if, <laughs> if we we're saying in the mid nineties, yeah, what like would, what in that time, yeah. what would have been the appropriate most, song? My, my yeah. high school class sat around for almost two years, basically just reciting this, skits to each other from Wu-Tang's first album. This would have been mine. This was always my dream to the beginning of the BS podcast. You know what song is this? Is this The Doors? Yeah. Is this Roadhouse Blues? to play this? No. Roadhouse Blues by The Doors? No. no L.A. Woman. Oh, L.A. Woman. Okay. The beginning of it's so good. Can I walk somewhere in slow motion? Simmons, Maybe Jason Gallagher will make that you're, happen. You're, subco- you're really like... You're begging to do the doors on rewatchables. Is that Ray Manzarek's music I hear? <laughs> CR, you say the day and the time for the doors rewatchables. Okay, man. And I'm there. I think it's interesting that you both picked hip hop songs. I don't know what that says about either of you. It says that we most obsessed with and grew up listening to a lot okay, of rap. That's fine. What's age the best? Feel free to add your own choices. Sure. McConaughey. The 70s music. The cars. The cast. The high school hierarchy thing. What else? The limited temporal narrative structure. The fact that it's taking place over one day never gets old for me. Man, I just, every time I watch that, I love movies or TV shows that are like condensed into this action takes place over X amount of time. And it really does feel like a full day. And it kind of reminds me of when, you know, when you were back in high school, your the social part of your day would kind of start as soon as you got out of that last class. And then you would have like some kind of practice or a game and then you would go out afterwards. And like, that was like seven to 10 hours of just like hanging out and doing fun stuff. And he really captures that. He really captures that day to night feeling. For Chris, the action is the juice. It is. <laughs> as always. I love, I, it's really hard to say not the cast. I mean, this is McConaughey's first movie. You know, that's, so if you combine McConaughey, Affleck, plus hitting on this great golden generation, plus putting all of these people who would go on to not have careers yeah. and le- creating indelible characters for them, that's actually maybe even bigger. Because if you look at McConaughey in 1993, even if he's never done anything, it's easy to say like, that guy's a fucking movie star. Yeah, like, but there's he like, like no everything. tape on this guy. This is like drafting yeah. a guy with no tape. He said he had done like one Miller Lite commercial. That yeah. was it. It's incredible. So, 
I'm looking up when A Time to Kill came out. What was that, 95? Yeah, there's this whole thing with McConaughey around this time where he is, I think he's on the cover of Premier Magazine. 96. I, I specifically remember the intense McConaughey as an A-list star. it's Lone star. star and A Time to Kill. And for A Time to Kill, they really went for right. it. And but it was like Vanity like, Fair, and Premiere, like doing Entertainment John Weekly. Sales and Richard Linklater, but yeah. he's also doing Grisham. And, and they're like, this know. guy's a star. And that's when Days to Confuse really started to get the cult classic stuff. Because they he's were like, they saw him star. as Wooderson. He said, he tells this story over and over. He tells it in a making of documentary about Days to Confuse. On Friday, he was no one. And by Monday morning, after Time to Kill had opened, he was a famous person getting stopped on the street. And it was that quick for him. Mm-hmm. He'd done a couple of things, obviously, before this, but that movie changed his life. And it's weird because... That movie is definitely less well-remembered than Days and Confused. I mean, that, Days and Confused is a much more generational, beloved movie than Time to Kill. Although I do remember liking A Time to Kill, I will yeah, say. Yeah, but Time to Kill was like, good. Yeah, I, I defended Time to Kill. Christian was like, the- Yes, they deserve to die! I hope they're burning hell! <laughs> <laughs> Grisham was like the MCU back then. It was like the Marvel. The, the, those were like, we got so excited for The Firm and The Client. And- I watched The Firm like three weeks ago. I'm, start, I'm starting to warm up to The Firm rewatchables. Yes! I did it for you guys. Yes! I know Zach Back hates when I clap, but that's I, that warrants a that's clap. That's huge. It's a really interesting movie. Oh, wow. I'm ready for maybe season seven of the rewatchables. I'll spend two hours talking about Hackman. Love. I have more Brimley, Brimley in, in Brimley. the firm. Great Brimley, great, great, great Hackman in that movie. Yeah, that's it. That, Hackman okay, like that's weirdly good. sexual and romantic for no reason at all. Yeah. It's like it's why, why is this guy attractive? He's like a, uh, anyway. a lot of confidence. A lot of confidence. He goes so, right after it with triple horn. I think the answer for what's age the best is the combo of McConaughey and the cast, and I really mm-hmm. enjoy seeing McConaughey at that point of his career. We'll get. I have a little more McConaughey info in a second. I missed a couple that age the best. If you're ever watching Dazed from the beginning, after you've seen it too many times, count how many times Don gets into a car with somebody. <laughs> it's like 15. <laughs> he's just always getting in a car. He's in a car. It's like Don's whole character, other than there's like two scenes in high school, but he's just in a car basically the whole time. He loves to cruise. Another thing that's aged the best um, after this movie, well, after it, a young pitcher by the name of Tim Lincecum became famous and looked like adult Mitch Kramer. And that became a running joke basically for the entire 2000s. He really did look like Mitch Kramer, who was a pitcher in the movie. And then the other one that's aged the best, I just noticed this in the rewatch this week. At some point, the three nerds in the car, they talk about the theory that President Ford's concussions were, football concussions were affecting the economy. And I I was like, the President Ford's CTE (laughs) subplot. That is aged the best. Yeah. It's relevant. And Do you true. think President that, Ford had CTE? Yeah. It's in play. If we believe Chevy Chase's uh, portrayal of him, yeah. That was great. What's age the worst? Uh, number one, Mitch Kramer. The biggest flaw in this movie. He's fucking terrible. His performance? His performance is bad. He's a bad actor. He's miscast. And that leads to the second what's age the worst, which is Mitch Kramer's pitching. Where they had to, oh, so they had bad. to use a, a cutaway. It makes Freddie Prince and Summer Catch look like Pedro Martinez in '99. They had to use the cutaway, but when they use the cutaway, you can see him releasing the ball, and he's releasing it like next to his neck, like he's had like a herniated disc. I, I just can't believe they tried he's to sell to be, us. I know it's high school or J, maybe even eighth JV, grade. eighth grade. So he's like the the innings eater. Right? This is like Texas like, baseball. You can't have, I have to believe. So I think Link later, I think everybody wants him is his reaction to fucking up the Mitch Kramer casting over anything else. Cause those guys and everybody wants him 
were awesome looking baseball That might be players. the most credible baseball movie ever made. Yeah. Everybody wants him. It's the guy with so the Burt weird. mustache? Yes. That, guy, that guy was like Mike What's Trout. What's that guy's name? That guy's a badass. I like that guy. Oh, the Tyler Hetchling? Yeah, the yeah. guy yeah. from Teen Wolf. He's like Mike Trout. My only yeah. counterpoint is that if you go back and look at baseball players from the 70s and 80s, it's not like they were athletes in the way we think of Bryce Harper now or Mike Trout. Like Mike Scott, the old Houston Astros pitcher, yeah. that guy looked like a science teacher and he was like, I think he won the Cy Young Award. Yeah, let me tell you something about that guy. He's a fucking cheater. Oh and he tried to God. cheat the Mets out of the World <laughs> Series in 1986. <laughs> so fuck on. him. Uh, here's my counter to your counterpoint. There's footage on the DVD making of Criterion oh, no. of Wiley Wiggins having a catch with Richard Linklater. It's one of the saddest things I've ever oh, seen. So he, can't throw? he can't catch the ball from three feet away. I mean, he is completely uncoordinated. So your objection is if they're not casting him for his pitching, they sure as hell weren't casting him for well, his Well, so act. I did research on this because it's the rewatchables. He lied. Great. The part of it was that he was a baseball pitcher and he said, yeah, I've played baseball. And then they got there and he literally couldn't play baseball and they had to edit around it. As it is, not a big deal unless you've watched the movie a hundred times, but it ties to a bigger question of what did Mitch Kramer bring to the table in this movie? And what would have been in the hands of like 12, 13 year old River Phoenix in this movie or somebody of that caliber? It's not like there weren't good actors in 93 who could have played a 14 year old. It's true, but I do think, even though he's not a good actor, I agree with you, he's got something. Eighth grade is such an awkward time and a lack of confidence yeah. is so important. His, and he, he's like evincing something. The bad acting works in his favor. It does. He it keeps does. touching his face and putting his hand at the bridge of his nose. That's like his signature move. And that is something that you do when you're nervous and you don't know what to say and you're trying to figure out how to be cool around people. He he captures something even though he you is- You think River Phoenix could have done that? I, I think River <laughs> Phoenix could have done that. This is like weird. You're like, what, what if James Dean plays Mitch Kramer? I just said, what I are we talking from, about that? I want to morph from that character. <laughs> what if Dante era Pacino plays Mitch Kramer? <laughs> He's bad. He's what if the Doors Val Kilmer? What do you think <laughs> of What do you think of Kristen Hinojosa who plays Sabrina? She's the other eighth grade girl. I liked girl. her. Yeah. I thought she was good. Yeah, she, yeah. she's she plays it very low key. Yeah, you know, it's a movie that's full of big performances, and she's more laid back. Mitch had to be cooler, and I got to be honest, we had to see him pitch. That was such a big part of because basically they're setting it up as like four years from now he's Randy Pink Floyd. Yep, I've got to believe that in the eighth grade you have to have some sort of aura about you, and I need to see you play sports. Randy Pink Floyd, I have no idea how big he was. I have no idea how realistic it was that he should have been the quarterback, but I believed it. He carried himself like a quarterback. What position does Don play? Football. Oh, Don was like, I would say defensive end. He looked like a linebacker to me. Yeah, yeah maybe outside short. linebacker. You sure? Yeah. Crazy though. Yeah. Like a safety maybe? Cole Hauser was clearly the best guy on the team. Cole, ha what do you think Cole Hauser played? I think Cole Hauser was left tackle. Okay. And I think he was like defensive end captain. You think Mel was like a right guard? Which one was Mel? The black guy. I think Mel was defense. What is okay. I'm going to say he was like the was best right guy tackle. in the defense. He was like a, he, Pink literally says to him, like, he's a good guy to have blocking for you. Even though he repeated senior year. This is, I can't believe I didn't put more thought into this before. What positions everyone played? What kind of QB? Where was McConaughey? Where was he? Like a running back? A tailback. Yeah, definitely tailback. tailback. Yeah. Oh, you don't think, you don't think Wooderson was a QB? Before? Although we do yeah. get a look at Wooderson's receiving skills when he throws the keys. So maybe he was like a Jerry Rice style wideout. Hmm. Different offense is this. This is pre West Coast offense too, right? Yeah, yeah. this is a pre lot of ground and pound. Yeah, so we're not yeah. looking for a lot, lot of yak action. here. We're not looking for a lot of yards after the catch. Do you think th Pink was like Manzelish? I think he's like Stabler. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 he's no. slinging it. No way. I think I think he was a scrambling, really fun quarterback. Like, That's like what I mean, like a Manzel. Jim, okay, like a young Jim Zorn. <laughs> 
Tarkenton. <laughs> yeah, like a young Tarkenton. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. So you're not with me on Mitch Kramer. I think that's the wrong. Well, opinion. I just think it's. I think it's okay that he's a bad actor, and I would say that in almost no case but this one. The other one they missed out on, and the IMD backs it up, is that Sean Andrews, who you mentioned earlier, who married Millie Jovovich, played Pickford. He's key in the first couple, like first 20, 25 minutes. The research of this movie, they actually phased his part out as the filming went along. How come? Because nobody in the cast liked him, and he was actually in a feud with Jason London. He fell in love immediately with Milo Jovovich, um, isolated themselves from the rest of the cast, and not to step on internet research, but- they all lived in a Radisson together, and it was just like a free-for-all party wow. hookup. So it was like Survivor. Hang. They had a showmance. They yeah. got targeted by the Alliance. The movie literally the Alliance opens with them driving like, in that incredible car. I mean, yeah. the first thing you see is those two together, that couple. So as as everybody was turning on this, and Linklater was a big, like, who's vibing with who kind of director, totally willing to add scenes and ad-libs. Here's McConaughey, who's supposed to be in two scenes because yeah. he's not in the class, and he's like lights out and clearly a movie star. And they kept giving him scenes. And apparently at the end, it's supposed to be Sean Andrews driving the car at the end. But by that time, they had already kicked him out to the curb. And McConaughey's on the football field scene at the end, which was supposed to be the other guy. And McConaughey's in the last 15 minutes of the movie, basically. It was not supposed to be. I would love to know whether or not... I mean, Nicky Cat hadn't really done a lot of movies at this point, but he was somebody who was like a pretty cool actor like yeah. around, right around then. And he's in that scene where him and McConaughey are looking under the hood of the car. He's like, you got to get some shoes on this, man. Look at White Lightning over there. Like he's standing next to McConaughey. And like, I wonder if he's like, this guy's basically an extra. Because like, oh, at, that, at that point in the movie, I wonder yeah. if they had started to phase him into the movie more. McConaughey definitely stole Sean Andrews. Thunder. Although Sean Andrews not Mickey good Katz in this in a movie Time either. to Kill in 1996. So oh, like, yes. maybe they're they're boys. But you know, like all of the b- most memorable Wooderson scenes are all either improvised or written on the set. You know, the L I V I N is written by McConaughey on the set with Linklater. Even the uh, the scene where he rolls up to the top notch and he invites the nerds, particularly uh, the redhead, to the party. Like that scene wasn't in the script, and yeah. they just created it to kind of draw more characters together. And Wooderson was the glue. It's weird that he wasn't there from the beginning, but he obviously he's not becomes in the, the second most important character in the movie. Well, also he's in what's aged the worst because uh, Wooderson's thoughts on stature toward rape have not aged great. Right? He, uh, the, maybe a predator. Me, yes. Yes. maybe a predator. Yeah, but we'll just leave that one. Not there. great. So you're a freshman, right? Yeah. So tell me, man, how's this year's crop of freshman chicks look? <laughs> What you're gonna end up in jail sometime, really soon. I know that. Fact. No, man. Yeah. No, I tell you. Yeah. That's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older, they stay the same age. <laughs> yes, they do. Go the ahead, hazing and bully, bullying is also not aged, aged well. What has aged the worst for you, Sean? What's what's your pick? Um, I mean, not a lot. There's like, there's the version of the country that we live in now where it's like, none of this stuff is acceptable and yeah. society has Terrorist changed. 43 years. Yeah. All the waters and stuff. Well, that stuff's kind of out the window. But as far as like the making of the movie, the actual watching of the movie, it holds up pretty well, partly because it's a period piece. So you're not holding it against the time it was made because the costumes are great. The music is great. The performances are good. It's full of stars. Like, it's not really riddled with too many problems. Mitch Kramer. Yeah, it's Kramer's pitching. You got me. Kramer's pitching. Oh, it's fucking bad. 
Now I want to watch the, the them having a catch. It's really sad. Now I want to watch the 86 Strohs versus the Mets with Sean. I have the DVD, actually. So if you buy the box set of the 86 World Series, which I have, um, nice guy. It, it has all the games against the Red Sox, but it also includes NLCS. Um, the game seven of, game sixes and seven of the NLCS um, and shows us some of uh, Scott's chicanery. And uh, he's a crook, and I'm glad he's banished from this game. Casting what ifs. Affleck and Hauser were cast over Vince Vaughn. He was the runner-up for both parts. Oh, I didn't know that. He lost to Affleck first, and then the Hauser part, they're going to cast him, but uh, Linklater was worried that he looked too much like Affleck. And Can I just didn't say— didn't want them to be confused. I don't think that um, Cole Hauser feel- is a very convincing Texan. No. You know? Hey, by the way, I don't know how many of these people were convincing Texans. Not I don't think lot. it mattered. Not a lot. That's a that's one part of it. There's not a lot of accent work in the movie. Maybe that's besides the, the worst. Yeah, maybe the accents. Yeah. Uh, Renee Zellweger auditioned for Parker Posey's part, did not get it. Claire Danes did not get the part of Sabrina. Yeah. Oh, wow. She looked a little too young, they decided. She's a better actor than the woman who got the role. Ashley Judd did not get the part of Jody. Wow. Yeah. You know what part she did get, Chris? Falcomer's wife in Heat two years later. <laughs> I'm done with you. <laughs> Guys, know where I can uh, get some bread? Uh, <laughs> the DN Waiters Award is, I don't even know what we do with this. It's a tough Ma- one. McConaughey might be in the movie too much for it. Same for Don Dawson. I think you can't give it to McConaughey. You gotta, let's be a little more creative. I, I was thinking Posey. She's I, in that, like four scenes. She was going to be my vote. Affleck would be the other one. At the, the high-pitched um, initiation scene when she's like, up, 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 and like losing her shit. That was pathetic! Let's try it again! That means get up, you lazy little bitches! Get up! That was horrible, you little slut girls, you little freshman slut! Get up! Get up! 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 I cracked up when I watched it. This she's week. like fucking Hannibal Lecter in this so movie. Funny. She's I think so Posey's good. the answer. I think a lot of other people are ineligible because they're in it too much. Okay. Posey's in four or five scenes and she's completely scaring. Slater's in it too much. Because Slater became Slater has kind long of iconic. monologues in it. Yeah, yes, he does. Incredible thoughts on George Washington's I, I would, wife. I look forward to discussing <laughs> that. The Joey Pants Award. Uh, named after Joe Pantoliano for those guys, that guy, those guys. You mentioned Clint the Bully played by Nicky Cat. Yeah. He's really, I know he's Nicky Cat, but I also don't know what other movie he's been in, even though I've seen him in Nine Things. I remember he was in Boston Public. He was in A Time to Kill. He plays one of the stupidest, least relevant characters in the movie, The Dark Knight. When he's <laughs> Is he one of the cops? Yeah, he's one of the cops yeah. who's, who's being chased by the Joker while he's escorting he's, Aaron Eckhart to some place to was jail, that like I guess. Was that a cameo or was that like, he was like, I'm in The Dark Knight. This is great. They just cut his role out. Column A and column B, okay. I guess. So he's the runner-up for this. He's also probably could be a little more imposing to be Clint the Bully. Seems like he's about, I don't know, 5'7". He's a little smaller, but he does have that like greaser attitude. What the fuck are you looking at? Yeah, exactly. I'm token. Uh, But the answer to the Joey Pants Award is the one black guy. (laughs) When you said his name, I didn't know who it was. What's his name? His name is Mel. Melvin Spivey. In real life? No, his name is Jason O. Smith in real life. What else they, in was real he in? Life, Jason O. Smith, the guy who played Mel, is named Mel. <laughs> Jason O. Smith notably does not have a Wikipedia page, 
So I don't really know. It's. I mean, he is the day. We should almost name this the Jason, <laughs> Jason O. Smith Award. Smith. Like Jason O. Smith has, has two credits to his name on IMDb. Yeah. One is Dazed and Confused. The other comes nine years earlier in a movie called Overexposed, in which he plays Jer- Jerry Solomon. And that's it. We've never heard from, from Melvin Spivey what's the, again. What's the logline on Overexposed? Is that uh, a Wikipedia page? This is quite a salacious cover here. It says, A royal scandal. A beautiful rock singer mm. in need of some extra cash poses for some sexy photos for a men's magazine without telling her boyfriend. So why do you think Linklater, I was fascinated by that there's just one black guy in this movie. Do you think Linklater was like, should I just have no black people in this movie or I'll have one I'm covered or I know the answer. What's the answer? There's only one black guy and everybody wants some too. And it's because he had one black friend growing up. Weird. Right. It must be like, what other reason? Why would he keep doing it that way? Who would have been your dream cast member? If we're doing the up and coming McConaughey and Affleck, all these people on their way up from that generation, who's the 93 black guy that should have been been this? The 90 like Don Cheadle. No, this is a no brainer. It's Will Smith. Yeah. I was going to say my my dream addition to want like a, like a character actor. No, I want somebody that I wouldn't have known who he was before this movie. And then they had a whole career. Oh, that's interesting. Like a McConaughey Affleck type. Oh, but for, for the black character. For the black character. For Mel. Like, I'm saying 93, we go back. So I can't cast Philip Seymour Hoffman as Mel. No. <laughs> he could have been in this movie, though. Yeah, I know. He's like right around that. I go Don Cheadle. What about like Method Man? <laughs> like, oh, wow. Who, who would have been, oh, yeah. who or, been not known at this time, but could have been a credible athlete? Let's go to half fast internet research. I mentioned a couple of these already. The double used in Mitch's pitching scenes. When you need a double for a sports scene, you should just hang it up. It's uh, not good. I mentioned the Radisson. Rink, Richard Linklater originally wanted the Led Zeppelin song Rock and Roll for the movie playing during the end credits. He didn't get it. Jimmy Page agreed for Linklater to use the song. Robert Plant denied him. As always, Robert Plant was a fucking asshole. Not that Jimmy Page wasn't, but those two weren't great. Those guys like money. The beer in the movie was real beer. Really? The miners did not drink beer, but everybody else did. So I think that scene, one of the best like 10-second scenes is Cole Hauser just hammered when he tries to stand up and burps and sit back down. <laughs> I love he that. might've actually really been drunk in that scene. Man is said 203 times. Mitch touched his nose 42 times. He had another, <laughs> he had another uh, bow in the air of the Mitch Kramer sucks thing. And then um, I mentioned the other stuff about Jovovich and Sean Andrews, the annulled marriage, all that stuff. Can I just say one, a little, few other internet research bits? That I really like one is that Linklater made mixtapes for the actors for their oh, characters, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I really liked. I love that individual. Uh, so for Adam Goldberg, it was all like Elo and people like yeah. ELO. and then also that he got sued by a couple of like classmates. Yeah, later later on down the line, as like as saying that he would they were disparaged in this movie. I was like, how can you? Imagine getting like, a badge suing of honor. a guy over over days to confuse. I guess if your name was O'Banion, you might be like, "Hey, that did not cast me in a flattering light." That suit got thrown out, though. Can I quick aside? You know who's on the cover of uh, Wooderson's T-shirt, right? Yeah, Ted Nugent. The Ted Nugent, Ted Nugent album. Um, By the way, you can buy that T-shirt. It's online. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, I spent some time at Ted Nugent's house once. This is for another story about a piece I never really wrote, but. Uh, I went hunting with Ted Nugent when I was in my early 20s um, when he was ha- hosting a reality show about hunting. And it was one of the most absurd experiences of my life. Where was it? Uh, it was in Michigan. It was outside of Auburn Hills. And uh, he 
would put all this quote unquote wildlife on his property, his sort of acres and acres, and then he would just hunt it down and then um, <laughs> kill it. And, it's not funny. And uh, <laughs> I'm laughing. And uh, and then he would butcher it like in real time, like he would murder it and then just immediately start cutting it up and show you like how the bo- like how all the body parts of a deer work and how to kill a turkey and pull its feathers out and everything. Um, he was simultaneously like the worst person I've ever met in the world, but also a really nice guy. It was this weird combination. I've never, never met anybody like him, but I've never even told this story. I don't think beyond like my family. Yeah. It was weird. It was a really weird two days. Yeah. He's still alive. He's, I mean, he's really controversial now because he's a hardcore right wing guy, Yeah, but, um, his, the records on this, in this movie are great. And every time I see the movie, I immediately think of my experience with him, which was very strange. Which song was it? Uh, there's, there's two different, two on it. Yeah. Um, I think there's two kiss songs. He has Stranglehold and uh, Hey Baby. Those yeah. are the two. Apex Mountain. I, you could argue there's zero Apex Mountain people unless you want to say Linklater, but I don't think, I think the second think, before Sunrise movie was yeah. his Apex Mountain, personally. Everyone else, I mean, unless you were going to say, obviously, uh, Jason O. Jones, <laughs> this is his Apex Mountain. I believe it's Jason O. Smith. <laughs> Jason O. Smith. Uh, the lady who played Jody. Yeah, Michelle Burke, man. What happened? Michelle Burke. Sean um, Andrews, Sean Andrews, Pickford. would you I think say Rory I mean, Cochran? Yeah, I mean, like a lot but of these the, are not like famous people. No. These are you don't think it's McConaughey's Apex, obviously. God no, right? No. What about Wiley Wiggins? What's that? Yeah, it's Wiley Wiggins. Yeah. I, anybody who's never really been seen right. again, I think it's. But that doesn't really count. Usually, we do Apex Mountain for for bigger people. What about Dina Martin who plays Siobhan? Never Swingers seen her is her Apex Mountain. Oh, she's in Swingers. She's so good in Swingers. That's right. That's right. I still have a crush on her. Dina Martin, if you're listening, I still have a crush on you. <laughs> Treo Buscemi or Michael K. Williams, who would have fit the best? You could add a young Michael K. Williams as, uh, as, as Mel. Mel. As Mel. Yeah. What about, I mean, Trejo would, be, would have been fun hanging out at the Emporium. He could have been there. He <laughs> so knew what said. Buscemi could have been one of the coaches. Making Buscemi him read the letter. is like the offensive coordinator. Yeah, yeah. Reading the letter. All right. No more Mark Ruffalo. They no. knew. It is now the Saul Rubinick. <laughs> You want to do it, Chris? Sure. I treated you like a son, and you stabbed me in the heart. <laughs> if you missed the True Romance podcast, we renamed the Mark Ruffalo category, the Saul Rubinick stabbed me in the heart category. That's the first time Zach's gotten to hear that live. Tell yeah, Zach wasn't life. here the last time. Overacting? I guess Affleck? Jesus, leave the devil fucking away. What's the matter with you? It's fucking pitiful. Fuck. Fresh shit in it. What the fuck are you looking at? Huh? Kick your fucking ass right now. Damn it! It's, I think it's after. It has yeah, to be. Right? going to be my vote. He, yeah. really, he really turns it up yep. nine notches when I the think that paint that's goes on him. a bit in the movie. They're like, God damn, O'Banion just takes this stuff so seriously. going for it. Yeah. Ben but I don't like, blame him for it. I think he played it correctly. One of the most disturbing sounds in modern times is Ben Affleck squealing. Like a pig. Yeah. <laughs> That's really upsetting. <laughs> He's very committed. What's funny is that was a big 80s, 90s joke. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how movies will push a sense of humor thing, but then just too many years go by and it dies. Like, if we did a squeal like a pig joke in the ringer office, nobody under 30 would know what the hell was going on. I always like, thought of it as like a squealing like a pig. It's like a deliverance thing, right? It's a deliverance yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's the Ned Beatty yeah. um, gets assaulted. In a very bad way. Yeah. See, <laughs> Accurate. Not good. Do you think Scarring. that 
Anthony Rapp and Adam Goldberg's characters are self-consciously trying to act like Woody Allen's 70s characters. Like with that- Like, like they're parodies of them? Yeah, like, did, like that, that, that's informing their character there. I don't think in 76 Woody had hit big yet in a way that he would have resonated with people in Texas. I don't know if that's a note that Linklater gave, but that's how, always how I interpreted Adam Goldberg's performance. Right. I was like, he's just doing Woody Allen. Like, this is Woody Allen. Interesting. I never thought about like that. Like, the whole joke, that the and I guess you're right about Anthony Rapp, too, because the Abe Lincoln joke, that's like a Woody Allen joke. Yeah. You know, having the dream about a woman. The way they, like, they're woman. walking and, like, gesturing at their temples. Yeah, and yeah. like, oh, and I've been thinking about this, you know, like. The thing is, though, he's made 10 movies since where characters do that. So I think it was just his yeah, way I to have right. like smart conversations. I was just but trying to find. I like, like the witty thing though. You guys talked about cultural that. touchstones for different characters. Yeah, and that makes sense. Designing themselves it's after 76 that. Seventy six is the year of Annie Hall, right? That's seventy seven. Seventy seven. What okay. witty movie would people in Texas have seen? Oh, uh, Sleeper. Everything you've always wanted to know about sex, but we're afraid to ask Man. is out by then. Sleeper is out by then. There's a bunch of movies. Bananas is out by then. Take the money and run. There's Let's pick some movies. nits. We already picked the nit of Mitch Kramer's pitching. Yeah. Anything else? Do you think you could drive around with that many beer bottles in your trunk? I think the drunk driving. In I just general, think the, the the beer just bouncing around in the trunk. I think you open the thing; it's just going everywhere. I, I never honestly, I've done a version of that. I don't think it's that crazy with like hundred beers yeah. in your trunk. Yeah, really? Because you fill it with ice. You so really it's have stable. Yeah, you you have to you line it with a garbage bag, and then you fill it with ice, and you put enough ice in there so that it's packed tight and that it doesn't move. Sean had some dark years wow, in Long Island. Sean's out there with Ted Nugent drinking tough, 100 beers. Jets I was in Islanders. college in upstate New York and there was nothing to do. Jets and the Islanders. You and I were in Boston. It was just the height of metropolitan. Yeah, living. but I went to visit my <laughs> friends who went to school in upstate New York and western Massachusetts and they totally would have put beer in the trunk. You're in the middle of fucking nowhere. Hamilton College, my best friend went there. <laughs> it was effective. That's when I was listening to Wu-Tang and Black Rob. <laughs> Uh, any other nitpicks? It's really hard. I always just feel so f- in the flow with this movie. I just love this movie. I, yeah. I don't really have The any movie nitpicks. has a couple of weird continuity errors where it's like, how did that person who was in that car end up in that car? Uh-huh. Um, you could kind of pick nits around that stuff. But I noticed one. It has one, a little like, bit of the uh, Amy Adams sharp objects. Like at a certain point, driving would be impossible yeah. for these guys. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's one when Don is in the car when they almost get killed by the guy with the gun. And then the next scene, he's somewhere else. and. It what just you, seems like, how did he get there? What about Mitch Kramer being able to so easily purchase beer while 13 years old? I think that was very 70s. 70s? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have another nitpick. Jody makes a run at Randy Pink Floyd, yep. brings him into the woods and starts making out with him and that whole thing. There was no real sign for it, but I, there was no payoff for it. That was the one scene where I don't know why that happened other than just to say he's the quarterback. He can hook up with any of these I think that's what it was. Girls. I think that's what you're trying to tell you. I mean, she's an important character because she warns the guys not to be too hard on Mitch, which essentially she's introduces Mitch bad, into the yeah. movie. Bad job by her. Um, I think it's just that he's like very desirable and that he appeals to a lot of different kinds of people. Who did you want him to end up with? I just have a thing for Michelle Burke. I like her. I think her. he should end up with Michelle Burke. I agree with you guys. Burke. Yeah. Jody Kramer, she was Burke's cool. Burke's the champ of this pot, I think. Burke. Good stuff by her. There's Burke some. And, there's a maximum yeah. oral history where she, she said she had some shots at the 20th anniversary, or 15th anniversary, whatever, and and uh, made some comment about Jason London, about how they had kissed, and she was in, but didn't realize his wife was there. Oh no! Yeah, that was bad. Jeez. Best quotes. That's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older, they stay the same age. This was hilarious for about 20 years. Not as hilarious lately. <laughs> I only came here to do two things, kick some ass and drink some beer. looks like we're almost out of beer. 
if these are the best years of my life, remind me to kill myself. A fucking classic. <laughs> a great high school yearbook yeah. quote. Uh, all right, all right, all right. Became basically the joke with McConaughey for years and years. All right, all right, all right. To this day. Still his catchphrase. Well, all I'm saying is that I want to look back and say that I did the best I could while I was stuck in this place, had as much fun as I could while I was stuck in this place, played as hard as I could while I was stuck in this place, dogged as many girls as I could while I was stuck in this place. Who said that one? Don. Sasha Jensen. Yeah, Don Dawson. And then uh, say, man, you got a joint. No, not on me. Be a lot cooler if you did. (laughs) The older you get, the more rules they're going to try and get you to follow. You just got to keep on living, man. L-I-V-E-I-N. You want to hear the George Washington speech? <laughs> Just the tail end. I think we should play it. George Washington, man, he was in a cult. And the cult was in the aliens, man. You didn't know that? No. Oh, man, they were way into that type of stuff, man. George tote weed. Man. Absolutely, George tote weed. Are you kidding me, man? He grew fields of that stuff, yeah. man. That's what I'm talking about. Fields. He, he grew that shit up in Mount Vernon, man. Mount Vernon, man. He grew it all over the country, man. He had people growing it all over the country, you know? The whole country back then was getting hot. Let me tell you, man, because he knew. He was on to something, man. He knew that it would be a good cash crop for the southern states, man. So he grew fields of it, man. But you know what? Behind every good man, there's a woman. And that woman was Martha Washington, man. And every day George would come home, she'd have a big fat bowl waiting for him, man, when he'd come in the door, man. She was a hip, a hip, hip lady. I also really like Slater saying, imagine how many people are out there fucking right That's now. That's a good one. <laughs> I, love, I love Slater saying, Martha Washington, man, she was a hip, a hip, hip lady, man. <laughs> It's great stuff. She was a hip, a hip, hip lady. I love Slater. And I will say something about this, the 93 to 96, there were these little movie monologues that really meant a lot because we didn't have the internet yet. I remember there's this movie, Sleep With Me, that wasn't great. Dude. Eric Stoltz. I'll do her fucking Tarantino's in the kitchen and does the Top Gun thing. Tom Cruise, yeah. Maverick. The whole thing. And it was like, it was like mind blowing. It's like, what is this? This is the greatest theory I've ever heard. Like I- I just wish this was the whole movie. Like These guys the in the kitchen. Right there, yeah. Yeah. And then the internet's like, there's a million things like that now. But in 93, 94, it was a big deal. Even the Martha Washington thing. It was like, oh man, great point about Martha Washington. <laughs> it's now the internet's full of this bullshit. And the cult was in the aliens. <laughs> I was going to say that. It's preceded by him saying George Washington's in a cult. I also, um, this is one of the best ad lib lines in the movie. It's when Parker Posey is just wrapping up her initiation and she's like, what are you looking at? Wipe that face off your head, bitch. <laughs> she, she said in a making of that she, it was in some sort of, uh, like a, it was in like a Chekhov play, but it was a bad translation. Oh my so God. it translated literally to wipe that face off your head. And she just said it stuck with her and she used it. I thought that was a great one. Don had a great one when early in the movie, they're just walking down the hall in school and he just fake punches this kid that's walking <laughs> back. He's going, it's a classic crazy football bully move. <laughs> Um, All right, probably unanswerable questions. First of all, what was Lee High School's 1976 football record? Great question. I think they lost. They're not going to state. 10 and 3? But I think they're in the mix. Yeah, I was thinking 9 and 3. Yeah. Yeah. I think they weren't expected to get into state, but then made the tournament the last week to upset somebody. Pretty, like, obviously occupied coaching staff. It's not like a math teacher who's also coaching football. It's like, they had a football coach. He had coordinators. He had like a, a player personnel liaison guy who yep. was like signed the uh, signed this piece of paper. So it was big enough, but I don't think it was on the Friday Night Lights level of like if you guys don't make state, it's an, a national emergency. Did you guys ever sign any oaths of any no, kind in high that, school? That was kind of weird. 
If we're going to get that, that was probably a nitpick. Okay. The whole movie, just dramatic tension revolves around this weird oath that everybody's supposed to sign. But we've already established in 1976, nobody cared about anything. Everybody's getting shit faced at the Emporium like yeah. every night. It's a stretch. We think Randy Floyd played, right? I do. Yeah. He came back. Yeah. Who did Randy Floyd end up with at the senior prom? Was Don. it Joey Lauren Adams? <laughs> or, they didn't or go. Yeah. Jody Kramer. I mean, he's probably just getting high with Wooderson and Slater, you know? Like, that's his vibe. Yeah, but who was his date? Probably Joey Lauren Adams. Yeah, Joey Lauren Adams. I think, they're, I think they broke up. I think she found out about the Jody making a move I, on I him. feel like monogamy was, was a little fluid. He moved though. over to Jody. Could Jody be. was irresistible. Could be. Joey Lauren Adams is very drunk, though. There's that famous scene where she falls down and then Parker Posey yeah. falls down with her. You could see Joey Lauren Adams wasn't really with it that night, so I'm not sure if she ever got that information. <laughs> Why didn't Jason London have a bigger career? He's kind of a cipher. The character is important in the movie, but I never walk away from this movie feeling like, that guy rules. I want to see him in more stuff. He's okay. He's yeah. fine. It's also, it's incredibly diff- difficult. I think that just because you're great in a movie about high school does not necessarily mean you're going to translate to being great in movies about people in their 20s or their 30s. Those parts are so perfect because they're like, you can play a type, but then you can also imbue that type with whatever your own personality traits are. You don't have to like really be this this like anti-hero yet. So I think that it's not surprising that you see a lot of people that are in these John Hughes movies in like in Days and Confused that don't go on to like these huge careers. Can I have a counter? Sure. My wife loves Randy Pinkfoot. Really? Yeah. The Absolutely character or him. the actor? That the both. Okay. Just one of her all-time favorites and says she's not alone. Okay. Didn't understand why she, he didn't have a bigger Justice career. for Pink. I think he was in this movie a game manager, like a Ryan Tannehill. Right. You never want him to do too much. Let's go back and think about who we've compared Pink to. Fran Tarkenton. <laughs> yeah. Johnny Manziel. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's a Ryan Tannehill. No, I, meant, yeah. I meant his character in the movie, though. <laughs> I know, I know. He, They didn't want too much of him at any point. But he's in a lot of scenes. And he's the thread to everybody. And it's like, all right, let's say a, a better actor played him. Let's say like Mark Wahlberg played Randy Pink Floyd. You said a better actor. <laughs> That's, that was good. <laughs> Who, Can you imagine Wahlberg playing a Texas quarterback? It would have, Randy Pink Floyd would have had an edge in the woods. No, it's like, what if yeah. it's Leo? Leo is in the perfect age range for this. Oh, Leo, Leo. would have been Leo would have been great. You okay with Leo? Is- I'm sure I'm okay with it, but I just think that there's a certain perfection to the, the fact that a lot of the people in this movie never went on to like almost sully this movie with being like, oh, later on, this guy was... Ron Kovic and, you know, like, I don't know. like they I gotta never, say, Sean just blew my mind. Leo, Leo is, is Randy Pink Floyd. But then it's, it has to be almost in your mind. It has to be a movie about I think Pink. he would have overpowered the movie. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's a certain, like, stability to that with, with the way Man. it is now. Leo would have made some interesting choices. And, I mean, guys, it's a better movie if Leo's in it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's an amazing actor. I think we win <laughs> if Leo's in it. Did you have any other unanswerable questions? Yeah, that I wish I could know how good that Aerosmith concert was. Yes. That's the best time for Aerosmith. 76 is like, that's two months and after Rocks Bowl, comes right? out. Yeah. yeah, and they're going to the Cotton Bowl. Like, that would have been a fucking awesome So concert. I researched that to make sure um, that was true, and they played in Texas three times that year. They did. So he yeah. must have researched that's that. That's just a great time for that band. That's I, I kind of understand why they're so obsessed with getting tickets. Yeah. You know, it's back so, in the saddle. Like, that's what that, what that record is. I think 76 was like a top four music year. It's probably pretty you good. Think about like just a lot of people on Apex Mountain for whatever the music version yeah, of that absolutely. is. There's and also, also concerts were so important back then. It was the only way you were seeing anything. Yeah. There's and, also like no, a ton of popular music that isn't even represented because it's meant to be Texas. It's like, there's no Stevie Wonder in this movie. There was just so much happening in the world. It was so good at that yeah, time. Yeah, like funk was huge yeah. then. Yeah. I'm not positive you could play music in 
you, I don't know if they had, the cars had cassettes yet. I'm gonna, Probably still I think that was like a late yeah, 70s thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was what he had imagined the ZZ Top record would be played on. Right. Who won the movie? Our choices are Linklater, McConaughey, or Martha Washington. Because <laughs> <laughs> don't sleep on how, how much Don? of a win she took in this. Don Dawson? Yeah. How could he have won the movie? Not over Wooderson. Oh, you mean like within the narr- like the story of the film? Now who won the movie? It's oh, gotta be it's gotta be Wooderson. Chevy Chase won Fletch. Like <laughs> that's easy. That's His like name's Harrison at the top Ford of the poster. Indiana Jones. I know. Yeah, but you can make a case Linklater won the movie because this launched yeah. a twenty five yeah. year career. Yeah, I think that this makes him more than a, a sort of experimental filmmaker who's emerging from that indie scene. This makes him kind of like this this two track filmmaker. Here's my case for McConaughey not winning the movie. Okay, when I did the thing I did in the movie quotes in '01. I had this long paragraph in there where I took a shot at him, where it was basically like, then McConaughey, and then he, we thought he was going to be a big star, and now he's just doing like a bad Wooderson impersonation rom-coms. Like, his career did crater there. Sure. Oh, for sure. Early 2000s. Hence the McConaissance. And then he that had the McConaissance. all about a renaissance. Linklater, I think, has been one of the nine most important directors we've had. He's high. Since 90. Is this the first Linklater rewatchables? Yeah. Yes. We've talked about doing Sunrises. Sunrise or Sunset before. Yeah. No, I we mean, talked about doing the the five-hour trilogy. Just gets dark. And just us crying the entire time? Yeah. yeah. It's you guys and your wives. No. That's, that's what I want. That's the podcast I want to listen to, is you guys do all three of those movies with your wives. That third one's a tough one. You just kind of look at your wife on the way out like, huh. It's a war. Want a hug? It's an interesting yeah. hang. Yeah. Yeah. Linklater, it's probably Linklater. I, I mean, he, he, every time he makes a movie, even if it's not one of his best, it's always interesting. Um, he's had such a great career. Yeah, and this is a masterpiece. Like, Tarantino has it in his 10 best films of all time. At least he did a couple years ago. And I, I think that this is the movie that probably emerges with Pulp Fiction. And I don't want to hear anything about Bruce Willis's girlfriend. <laughs> it emerges with Pulp Fiction out of that era as like a the standalone masterpiece. I think it is the definition of a rewatchable. And something we didn't mention at the top. You can jump in at any point in the movie. Yeah, the whole movie is really designed that no way. Difference. There's it, no, there's no beginning, middle, and end to this movie. If it anything, just goes. if you get in after the baseball, you don't have to suffer through Wiley Wiggins' fake off speed stuff. Did we yeah. do a shout out to watch the Leather Man? <laughs> watch <laughs> the Leather Man. That's the other one. God, there's watch. so many lines that jump out. The uh, <laughs> Martha Washington. Before we go, we, hip, hip, hip lady, man. We should mention the spiritual successor to this movie. Everybody wants yeah. some, which is. Underrated, I think. Like a year away from being rewatchable, I feel like. I I hope it I need has to watch it seven more times. Cult. I don't know. I mean, I know everybody that it's works. It's happening. People it's in that the work here, it. like this movie rules. Um, it yeah. didn't even. I didn't even make like eight million. It, it was it, that also was a bomb, and also was a movie that was put out just like Days and Confused by a major studio that didn't really get behind it. It's the same. It's basically the same story. I feel like Linklater did this. that intentionally with the exact same strategy. Maybe I don't know. I, there's no way. Who's going to go see that movie in the theater? Everybody wants them? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's That's the kind not, of thing, especially as it. Glenn Powell maybe gets bigger. It's Glenn Powell and Zoe Deitch. They're yeah. both in that movie. Yeah. And now and they're a bunch both going to be people. huge. Yeah. yeah. Now that movie's really good. I, I like that one. I hope that movie catches on as like on Netflix. Yeah. Because if it's on Netflix for like two years, it becomes like a big favorite it, of people. It, was, it had a Netflix run. Did they, it? They tried to get it going. Yeah, it was on there for a while. It deserves a bigger audience for sure. It'll have a run. Anything else? The Rewatchables. So we're going on a little hiatus and we're going to do a couple horror movies. And then I think Shay and I are going to do all four Rockies at some point. Wow. Before Creed. Jeez. Yeah. So it's not much of a hiatus. When you say all four Rockies, there's like eight Rocky movies. Nah, there's only four that matter. And we've already done Creed already. That's we did true. that one before. 
You were you weren't there. You were on vacation. I was on vacation. Did Creed. you see the Creed two trailer? I did. There are some people calling it the greatest trailer of all time. I think that might be an overstatement, but That's I definitely overstated. I appreciate the enthusiasm. Can I, I had no idea Lundgren was in it, so I almost had a heart. Oh attack. my god, are you okay? I I, I was like, I, I just couldn't believe it. We should probably check you for a. How'd stroke. they get him? Yeah. How'd they get him? How'd they get him? <laughs> I can't believe yeah, that. Can I just use this moment of public broadcasting to declare uh, Roger Sherman's take on the Rocky movies being bad as one of the worst takes in Are the history outing of him? takes? He's I'm outed that him. before. Yeah. Or do you only do Hoosiers? Yeah. No, he's outed it before. He okay. wrote about Hoosiers, but he genuinely thinks the Rocky movies are bad, which needs to be stated as a bad take. He talks in a British accent around the office. I know, I mean, I know. What can you do? <laughs> Fellas, it's been fun. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Catch Bill. you around on the next rewatchables. Today's episode of The Rewatchables was brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Let's talk about Hotel Tonight by showing you top-rated hotels with unsold rooms. Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book your stay at an amazing rate. And even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can book in advance. It's perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, booking a place with a pool, and more. So to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now.